Hey spooky people, we wanted to give you a heads up that the audio quality in this episode is a little off compared to what we normally strive for. Our experimentation with a different recording service didn't go quite as planned. Our editor, Jessica, did a great job cleaning it up as much as possible, but please excuse the brief garbled audio portions and rest assured that things will be back to normal soon. I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. You're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. As a reminder, now that Paige is officially working on her master's degree, she just started this week, we have a new format where every other episode will be me, which is Megan, and a substitute sister. So for this episode, I am joined by Dr. Allison Kirkpatrick, who is an astronomy professor at the University of Kansas with research interests pulled straight from her CV in active galactic nuclei, galaxy evolution, star formation, and dust emission. So Allison is much smarter than me, and will be talking to us today about space stuff. Please, I teach introductory astronomy. Um, that's the class I teach most often. And what I try to tell every student, and I'm going to tell you, Megan, and every listener out there, is that every single person can be a scientist. It's all about just approaching the world and wanting to think scientifically and gather evidence. I know that's what you want to do, what all your listeners want to do. So please, do not tell me that I'm smarter than you. I am not. It's all just about how we approach the world. This is why I love your podcast for how you approach the world. And I'm so excited to engage with you. Well, here's the thing. I just pretty much assume that like anyone who studied a lot of physics just like stop it has a I I can't <laughs> <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> Every single person out there who thinks critically is smart. And actually, you know what? I'm going to get on my soapbox because I hear all the time from people who are like, I can't do science because I can't do math. Yeah. I don't think like that. Do you know what people never say? People never look at you and you're like, you know what? I can't read. Because we treat that as like a fundamental skill, right? We're like, yeah you can't read. Well, let's teach you to read. And so it's the same thing with math and science. Everyone can do math and science. You just have to engage with it and and believe that you can and talk to people who help you engage with it. And I think that's what your podcast is doing. It's helping so many people engage with the world scientifically about like cool things. And I think that's great. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate that a lot. (laughs) No, this is what I do. I work at the University of Kansas. If you've never thought about Kansas in your life, you never need to. Don't worry about it. Um, But I do do research with like the Hubble Space Telescope and the James Webb Space Telescope. And I look at black holes and I look at galaxies. And we're going to talk about those today. Yay. And I've been spending a lot of time looking at James Webb Space Telescope pictures recently. And yeah, I have a bunch of people that I follow on TikTok and Instagram and stuff who do science outreach, but in the astronomy field. So they've been doing all sorts of cool videos about the JWST stuff. So that's been super fun. So timely for me, because it's stuff that I've been super into lately. (laughs) Okay. Well, before we jump into spooky space, we can do something spooky, which Mm -hmm. if you have something great, if not, that's fine. But has anything spooky happened to you recently? Megan, you know, it has because, because I love spooky stuff. 
Um, no, this one's actually more sad than spooky, but oh, no. <laughs> I, I know I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> we had our family cat who was just the best cat we've ever owned and who we will ever own died very tragically last year. Oh no. I, I know it was, it was really sad. It was really sad, but she used to, before she died, she used to jump on my bed every night. Like she would like jump up and she'd walk over to me and she'd like hop on me and let me pet her. Yeah. Ever since she died, she's been doing that. And it it has it has gone away, but she still comes occasionally. She still comes occasionally to my bed. But right when she died, it was like every night, and it was it was like so specific, yeah, that I could like reach out and pet her, and I would I would like reach out and pet her, and I would talk to her. And now it's maybe like once every couple of weeks. I think as like the grieving process has gone on, yeah. And, and I know you guys talked about this on like your spooky stories episode because yeah. I know a lot of people deal with this with their pets. You know, and as like a rational person, I think I'm just hallucinating. But as a like a not rational person, I think I think it's great. I think our pets are 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 right there with us, even even when they leave us. And so I still I still feel her. And so it's not spooky, yeah, because I love it because it brings me a lot of comfort. But it is definitely like paranormal. Yeah, that's wild. I yeah, we like you said, we've definitely talked about that. Well, especially me, I can't remember what Paige's feelings about it were. But yeah, every time I've had a pet pass away, it's just hard to shake the feel and like the just the routines and stuff that you get used to or like seeing them out of the corner of your eye, all that stuff. Like, yeah, we had a cat who passed away a few years ago and it was like, I, it was like for weeks I felt like I was seeing her out of the corner of my eyes. What about you? Anything spooky? Yeah, today the the impending spooky thing is that my toddler woke up with a sore throat today. So I'm sure that that's about to come down like a hammer on the entire family. God, no, 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 no. Okay. (laughs) So that's spooky for, you know, just the reason of like, oh, God, everyone's about to lose a week of work and sleep. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And then my other sort of spooky thing is just like, I'm watching a spooky show, The Last of Us on HBO. Oh, yeah. I heard that just got renewed. Yes, it just got renewed, which is very exciting. Um, I know Paige, but also my husband, have like played both of the video games that it's based on. Mm-hmm. But it is a super good show. They are doing a really unsettling job, I guess, of like framing sort of the possible science behind this whole like fungus turning everybody into zombies thing. Okay. So like, obviously, it's, you know, it's not going to happen. It's firmly in the like, you know, fiction universe, but they are doing a really good job of setting that stage. So it's fun to watch it for that reason. But also, if you are feeling sad, don't watch it. Um, I wasn't intending to. I don't like apocalypse shows. And I okay. really so the only thing that I think is really good about the apocalypse would be Deep Impact from like 1998. Everyone go watch this. I actually feel like this one's fairly accurate. But okay. everything else about the apocalypse is like, nah, don't don't bother. It's not right. <laughs> Gosh, I don't remember. I've seen that movie once, I think. Um, I can talk about this for a while, actually. And it's going to come up. I just looked at like, the list of topics you want to ask me about. It's going to come up. So don't okay. worry about okay. it. Okay. Well, we'll come back to Deep Impact then. 
Okay. <laughs> but now I feel like I have to rewatch it. So again, this happens all the time where we we're like, oh, sh- there's another movie that we have to add to like the incredibly lengthy list of movies that we are supposed to watch that people talk to us about on this show. <laughs> okay, well, we can jump right into our discussion topic for tonight, which sort of ended up just being like me vomiting out a bunch of things that I think are creepy about space space is really (laughs) creepy (laughs) so i had this like sort of list going and i sent the google doc to allison and i like i think i logged in a little bit later and realized that she had just like annotated every topic was just like death 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 everything was just different ways to die via space which i guess you know (laughs) That's the thing. I teach, again, I teach like introductory astronomy and it's geared towards non-majors. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Right. Because it's just supposed to be like for non-majors, it's just shock and awe. Like let's yeah. just engage with science and the universe and get you to love it. Yeah. And and that's why I, I like helping people come to that realization. Um, but all of the time, my comments are like, this class has given me an existential crisis of my life. I'm like, oh. Yeah, it should. It should, actually. The universe is really big, and you should feel really small. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the only time, like, so I taught, like, general earth science um, for a couple years, and so there's just sort of, like, a a few lectures that you do on, like, planet formation and uh, as a whole and, and the solar system and everything. Um, cause most of it's obviously focused on earth itself and geology stuff, but yeah, I remember doing those, <laughs> like I learned a lot putting the lectures together, but also feeling like this just makes me feel really small. <laughs> yeah. so, okay. Well first, sure. So you teach this class, you teach astronomy, mm-hmm. obviously, because that's what you do. So my big thing, so I have this whole list of things, right, that I've put together, things that freak me out about space or things that I've, you know, come across videos or stories or whatever about. In general, though, I would say just like, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, just like the vastness of space makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, just, I don't know, I freaked myself out the other day thinking like, there's definitely like, there's like an edge to the universe. Like what is beyond that? And like, I don't like thinking about that, that, that stresses me out. So I felt like I should ask you though, is there a thing that sort of like you think is the spookiest or scares you the most about space? Absolutely. And we are going to talk about it um, because it is anything free floating in space. So rogue black holes, rogue planets, um, I think those are the freakiest. Um, yeah. When it comes to, is there an edge to space? Um, I literally had a five-year-old ask me this today, and which is really hard. I know, I know, you're not a five-year-old. It's really hard to explain to a five-year-old, but I can yeah. explain it the same way. Um, it's like, is there an edge to the Earth? Like you, for all intents and purposes, you're not going to get on a spaceship. You're not going to be shot out into space. Like, like for most yeah. of human history, we've never even known that you could leave the surface of the earth. So let's yeah. imagine you can't because, because you really can't. Yeah. And so would you say there's an edge to the earth? You could, you could walk for infinity years 
and you're never going to leave the surface of the earth. Sure. You're just going to walk around it and around it and around it. So it's the same thing with space, right? And it, it gets, it gets really, really hard to conceptualize. But for us, there is nothing outside of space. Space is, is space. Yeah. Like, like it is space. It is space. There is nothing outside of space because we exist in space. But like the universe, like there's a edge. Like, is no. there a definable edge no. somewhere? Okay. So what there is, is there is an edge to the observable universe, right? Okay. Because our universe is 14 billion years old. That's when yeah. the big bang happened. Okay. Yeah. So we can only see in any direction 14 billion light years. Yes. All right. So in that given sense, there is an edge. But if you were to travel 14 billion light years, you would not reach a wall like in the Truman Show. You would not be able to knock on a door <laughs> and walk outside uh, of it. Yes. You would actually still be at a space where you could see like 14 billion light years in any direction. Okay. So like the Milky Way, we're in the Milky Way. We can see 14 billion light years in any direction. Uh-huh. But let's say we go over to Andromeda. We can still see 14 billion light years in any direction. Yeah. And let's say we go to another galaxy. We can still see 14 billion light years in any direction. Sure. And so in that given sense, there there is no edge yeah. to the universe. It is like we are trapped. We are trapped on a surface. And even if we were to leave our observable universe, um, it's still an infinite universe that also started with the Big Bang. Our heads don't think in this many dimensions. Okay. I know our heads don't think in it, but <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to leave the universe. So it's your... Well, I know. But I just, you know, it just stresses me out because it's like, it's like right. that. It's just a thing. It just makes you feel really small. <laughs> sure. But you're not even going to leave Earth. How do you so, know? I mean, you're probably not going to leave birth. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're probably not. So what does it matter? I mean, Mars is farther away than you can even imagine. And that's just Mars. Yeah. I don't even like getting on planes. So yeah, I'm definitely not leaving the yes. earth. Um, <laughs> Listen, I actually don't either. So it's okay. <laughs> okay. But back to you. You, great, are like actually an expert on black holes. So. Sure. Yes. yes. So I think first, rather than me trying to explain, I would love to get like the official, what is a black hole? Just general definition first from you. Right. So Newton was a huge idiot, right? Like he <laughs> thought gravity was just like this inverse square law between two bodies, but actually it's not. It's the bending of space time. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just, um, I just really like, I really like that joke. Yeah. So, so we all, because we all understand gravity, right? Gravity is what is holding us onto the surface of the earth. Uh-huh. And Newton conceived of gravity as being like an attraction between two bodies. Uh-huh. And then Einstein came along and Einstein was like, no, 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 no. Maybe it works that way on like small scales, but when we're looking at big scales, we shouldn't actually think of gravity as an attraction between two bodies. What we should think of is that all of space and time are actually woven together in this fabric. And anytime you have a massive body, it is actually bending space-time. And like space and time woven together, I mean, it makes intuitive sense, right? Because I don't know where you are located right now. Um, but if I was like, hey, pause this podcast, I'm going to come hang out with you and we're going to record it in person, <laughs> I would have to move in 
space, but I would also move in time. And so I couldn't get to you like right now. It would take a certain amount sure. of space and time for me to get to you. Yeah. That's how space and time work. They work together. And so then you can imagine if you have like a giant sheet and you and you stretch it out and you throw a bowling ball on it, it is going to bend your sheet. And then you're like, I'm going to throw a marble on this sheet too and see what happens. Well, that marble is going to curve around and around and spiral down to where the bowling ball is. <laughs> and so but this is how Einstein con- conceived of all of space time. And so, so for the purposes of this experiment, we're going to imagine that we all live in this 2D universe, right? And so, and so you put Earth on our sheet, and Earth bends the sheet a little bit. But then you put the sun on the sheet, and the sun is going to bend it a whole bunch more. Yeah. And when Einstein wrote this theory, actually, everyone was kind of like, whatever, Einstein, get a life. No one cares. <laughs> um, so they did that like bell gift. They're like, no one care. And, um, and it wasn't until um, 1918, I think there was, might have been 1919, one of those, there was an eclipse, right? Where the, where the moon blocked out the sun. And so up until this point, Einstein had been like a nobody. I would have been like, Einstein, like, get a life. We don't care what you're saying. And so during the eclipse, the moon blocked out the sun. Well, the sun in different parts of the year would appear if, if we had no atmosphere, if we could see the sun and we could see the stars at all time of the day, the sun would appear in different constellations. This is how we get the Zodiac. Uh-huh. Because if we had no atmosphere, you know, um, if you're born in ter- certain times of the year, the sun is actually like in that constellation. Okay. And so they knew the stars that were, the sun was going to be in front of, they knew how they should look because, you know, during the other six months, they could see those stars at night. And so they uh-huh. knew how they should look. And so during the day, though, you normally can't see the stars behind the sun but you can during an eclipse when the moon is blocking out the sunlight. Yeah. And so all the people went to to measure the position of these stars. The moon blocked out the sunlight. They measured the position of the stars. The stars were not where they should have been at all. And they realized that the stars had moved because of what general relativity predicted. Because the sun was technically there, they just couldn't see the light because the moon was blocking it. The sun was technically there. It was warping the fabric of space-time. So all the photons from these stars were being sent on these curved paths around the space-time, around the sun, and so the stars didn't appear to be where they should have been. Oh. Overnight, literally overnight, you can look up uh, the front page of like every newspaper in the world. Einstein was a celebrity. Yeah. And then he left his very smart wife and he married his very young cousin. <laughs> yeah, like you do, like you do. So, so a black hole is basically you are bending space time's fabric down to a point. Okay. And so like, instead of just the sun, you're bending it down to like basically an infinitely dense point. And so what ends up happening is that your path of your photon of light gets so curved that light cannot escape the the black hole. Oh. Any photon passing close enough, and that close enough is the event horizon. Um, If you pass within the event horizon, the the curvature of space-time is so great that you are going to fall down into the black hole. Okay. Just don't pass that close to a black hole and you're fine. 
Yes. And I did read earlier that the event horizon is like very, very narrow, like yes, tens of miles, right? right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, so yeah. <laughs> in the off chance that I'm in space near a black hole, that's probably like the best that I've ever understood black holes. So great. You guys should all be super excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> For, be excited for me, but also be excited for yourselves because that was like, that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> okay. So that is like generally what's going on with a black hole. Now we can get to the spooky side of things, which is also what Allison said was her, you know, scariest thing about space is that there are just sort of black holes out there that are doing their own thing, like not connected to any specific like star system or galaxy or yeah, that, that just sort of rove around space and we call them rogue black holes, but I think there's also other names for them as well. So we got to be really clear here. There are two types of black holes. There are supermassive black holes. Those are the kinds that I study. And okay. there's, Mass black holes. So the difference is that supermassive black holes live at the centers of galaxies. And we're not actually really clear on how they formed, but we think that every galaxy has one at its very center. Um, and then there are stellar mass black holes that formed from um, when stars die, um, the really massive ones, um, they start to collapse under their own weight and they actually don't have enough outward pressure at any stage to stop the collapse. And so they keep collapsing down into an infinitely dense point. Yes. Okay, so supermassive black holes. So we know that there are rogue supermassive black holes. And these would be <laughs> like 10,000 to a million to 10 million times the mass of the sun. Because what happens is that galaxies actually collide all the time. We are on a collision course with Andromeda, um, our nearest our nearest neighbor galaxy. And when galaxies collide, the supermassive black holes at the center have to merge. The problem is we don't really have great physics to explain how they actually merge together. Um, so that's an ongoing problem. But if the angular momentum is just right, it, you know, it's like it's basically like like hitting balls on a pool table. Yeah. You know, if you like hit a ball just right, it's going to go into the pocket. But if you judge it a little bit wrong, that ball is going to go flying off. Yeah. And so and so black holes can do the same thing. You can think of them as pool balls. And and if you hit them at the wrong angle or the wrong momentum, one of them is going to go flying off. Right. And so we we do see that. We do have a few like we see that in in theoretical work, but then we also see that in reality. We have a few instances where you have like just a super massive black hole, like in the outskirts of a galaxy. And so we just see it being thrown out. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but the bigger problem is actually stellar mass black holes because when gravitational wave detectors started detecting these things, so that was back in 2016, it won the Nobel Prize. It was a really exciting discovery because the problem with a black hole is that it's black. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't see it. You can't see it unless it's actually interacting with material and then you can detect the material 
around it. But if it's not interacting with material, you have no way of seeing it except through gravitational wave. Um, and so if that black hole interacts with another black hole or a nearby star, you, you have a hope of seeing that through gravitational waves. And so back in 2016, um, they started detecting these, these smaller black holes through gravitational waves. That was really exciting. The problem was <laughs> these black holes were way bigger than we thought they should be. And there's way more of them than we thought there should be. <laughs> and so we don't have great explanations for that right now. We don't have great explanations for why there are so many of these black holes that are like 10 times the mass of our sun why they're that heavy and why there's so many of them and they're just kind of floating around. Yeah. And so I don't know, man, I have nightmares about that a lot. <laughs> I'm just like running into a black hole. Cause what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone out here is like worried about the, um, the large Hadron Collider and like creating a black yeah. hole on earth. And it's like, yeah, just no, kidding. No Cause cares. one could just come along and like slam into us anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> perfect. That's not the biggest problem. That's not actually the thing that keeps me up at night. I okay. mean, I do I actually do have nightmares about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the thing you should be worried about. Okay. If you want to be worried about something, be worried about rogue planet. <laughs> because, because, okay, so black holes, we have no idea how common those are. But rogue planets, oh my gosh. Okay, so this is the idea, right? Is that um, when you form a solar system, it is a very violent process. Uh-huh. And while you are forming planets, um, a lot of them have interactions with other planets. For example, our solar system could have formed an extra planet that got kicked out. Like that's in, that's in a lot of models. Um, and so when you form all your planets, um, it's actually predicted to be pretty common that you kick a planet out, that it just gets flung out of the solar system. <laughs> and if you're wondering how this works, Go back and watch like the really, really excellent movie, Apollo 13 from the 90s. It's based on a real mission, of course, to the moon. And the astronauts are in the spaceship and the spaceship. Listen to me. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they're heading to the moon and they have a problem and they're not going to be able to land on the moon. And they're like, oh, but we don't actually have enough gas to like turn around and get back to earth. And so they have to slingshot around the moon. They're like, if we come close enough to the moon, the moon's gravity will sling us around and change our orbit and make us move fast enough to make it back to earth. Yeah, they do. Okay. So it's the same idea with planets. And if you put two planets close enough to each other, you are going to give one planet a kick. Yeah. And you can give it enough of a kick to fling it out of a solar system. We know that this happens because we see them. We yeah. have planets that are just free floating, not attached to any star. Um, and for those of you who like science fiction, I would love for you to imagine a society on one of these planets that's not attached to any star and realizes it's free floating. Um, I think that would be <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Although they wouldn't have like light or anything. <laughs> Be pretty chilly, I think. Be, yeah, they'd be pretty cold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 
how many of these there are. And so with the launch of the Nancy Grace Roman face telescope, which is going to launch in a couple of years, one of the things that it's going to do is micro lensing, which means it's again, based on Einstein's general relativity. Yeah. When one of these planets passes in front of a star, it is bending space time enough to actually make that star brighten just a oh. little bit, a little bit. And so this telescope is meant to be sensitive enough to measure that tiny little bit of brightening so that we can, for the first time, figure out how many free-floating planets there are. But there is a movie about this. Um, it is called Melancholia. It is an art house film. It's got Kirsten Dunst. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's about it's about depression. Like, really what it's about is depression, like deep, deep <laughs> depression. Yeah. I don't recommend it. It's really sad. I mean, it's in the title. It's called Melancholia. But it is about one of these, like, free-floating planets that comes and hits Earth. And if you yeah. are down for watching the Earth being destroyed, it is brilliant in this movie, and I recommend it. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the thing about rogue planets. Yes. Is this just, like... Like they're just they're just considered rogue planets, and they're not just considered large asteroids because of their size. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it would be a size differential for, okay. for they would have formed in the same way. And, yeah, um, because we have we have stars that are really really small, and so one of the questions is like, how do you differentiate between a star and a planet? Um, the technical answer is how they formed, but in reality, you really can't measure that. Yeah. Um. So. It's, just a mass differential. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, the difference between like asteroids and planets would be would be mass. Planets have to be round. And <laughs> yes, I, no, it, it, no, but really, they do. It's because they're large enough that they have enough gravity that pulls them into a round shape. Because if you have enough matter, gravity always prefers a round shape. Yeah, every point on the surface is equidistant from the center where you have the most gravity. And so if you have an asteroid that's just kind of like potato shaped, that means that it's it's just not very big. It doesn't have enough mass to pull it into a round shape. Okay. So so in a couple years, I guess we might have an idea of how many of these there are. And like in what like what radius are we talking about from Earth that this telescope is gonna look? Like is it gonna look in our galaxy and our yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this measurement, it'll all be It'll all be in our galaxy. And in fact, this measurement only makes sense within like a certain part of our galaxy. But the yeah. fun thing to think about, and actually I don't think it's very fun to think about. Um, <laughs> but with like asteroids and comets, right? Like we have we have programs to measure those. Um yeah. again, the reason that Deep Impact is such a good movie is because it is completely realistic that we would never actually see a comet that's coming to hit Earth until like two years before. So they find out about like in that movie that they have two years. Um, yeah. And in 1998, that's completely reasonable. And it's still not a bad estimate for today. Um, as opposed to like, if you look at the movie Armageddon, I think they find out with like two weeks, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Um, but with, but with comets, like two years is reasonable. But the thing is like, if you know, within two years, you can move a comet. Like we, we just had a space mission that proved that, um, that you, that you with your, your little spaceship, you can generate enough gravity to pull like a little space rock enough that it's going to miss the earth mm -hmm. with a rogue planet. You can never, you could never possibly do that. 
Um, if a rogue planet is on a trajectory to Earth, goodbye. Tell your loved ones you love them. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're done here. Uh, uh, <laughs> but you're saying the lead time, too, would be let it'd be longer for sure. No, 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 it'd be longer because okay. So if you watch, <laughs> if you watch the movie Deep Impact, uh-huh. so that was 1998. And again, guys, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, please go watch it. Maybe we can all do a Twitter thing together. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, it's a great movie. But nowadays we have we have all sky surveys, so we have pan stars out in Hawaii mm-hmm. that is finding these monsters. Like we have some monsters out in the out in the very very distant solar system but it has taken the era of you have to have an all sky survey so you have to have a telescope that is both sensitive and surveying the sky on a cadence of like a couple of weeks to be able to detect motion of something that is nearby and we just haven't had that until like the past decade so that is why we are getting so much better in like our asteroid and comet detection too is because is because we have these telescopes now that are surveying the sky um essentially you know like on a couple of weeks cadence. Gotcha. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Okay. Well, so that sort of, I guess, leads naturally into something that I had later on the list, which was the fact that we have done this, like, test of deflecting an asteroid. (laughs) Right. Which was more like, so this was the DART mission, the right. double asteroid redirection test. and But that was more like directing, or that was more like deflecting a small asteroid yes. <laughs> that was orbiting a larger asteroid. Right. So that made me a little uncomfortable reading about that. I was like, that was a really small one. Like, are we sure it would work for the bigger one? But... <laughs> As long as it's it's all time and it's a time game, mm-hmm. as long as you have enough time to, um, okay. So if something is coming right by Earth, let's say it's let's say it's deep impact, right? And you have like a week, okay, and you find out like this thing is going to hit Earth in a week. Well, within a week, then you're going to need to move it like like a thousand miles. That's going to take a ton of gravity, but um. If you have a year, then you don't actually have to move it that much. You just have to move it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because like a tiny little change in the angular momentum, well, then by the time it's been a year, correspond to like a huge change in in like the physical range of where it's going to hit. Right. But so so you're saying that they're affecting it via 
like gravity, but was I mean the dart mission? They just like ran into it, right? I, guess, I mean that's what they're doing. Okay, yeah, so, right. There's, there's a couple things that you can do here, right? Okay, so so number one, I I think what Dart did was actually blow something up. Yeah. Right. And again, that's okay. As long as you have a long enough lead time, you can blow it up. Because again, when you blow it, the um, the pieces will be knocked enough off the trajectory. So this is what Deep Impact and literally every other movie I've ever seen has gotten wrong. Um, is that like Deep Impact, the comet is like literally about to hit Earth. And they're like, let's blow it up. And they oh, blow yeah. it up. And all the pieces still hit Earth's atmosphere. That's still really bad because they're like heating Earth's atmosphere. Like all that heat is being dumped into Earth's atmosphere. Oh. And so you need you need all the pieces to go completely around the Earth. So if they had blown it up like six months out, then they would have had time for the all those pieces. The trajectory would have been different enough that it wouldn't have hit the Earth. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so then the other potential way to deflect an asteroid is is using that same idea, except this time you're not going to use a bomb. This time you're going to put something, like if your asteroid is small enough, you're going to put something in space that's like relatively the same size if, as your asteroid. But again, you, you've got like a year lead time. And so you're going to put something really close to it that's relatively similar to its size. It's going to ex- exert a little gravitational tug on it. Huh. I don't know. It'll be enough that it will move it out of the way. Right. And, you know, my kids, my God, my kids are in third grade and they're coming home now. And they're like, mom, Pluto a planet. And <laughs> yeah, right. That's what they're like. They're like, we learned Pluto is not a planet. Um, so one of the reasons Pluto isn't a planet is that if you look at Pluto's moon, um, Sharon, Charon is about the same size of, as Pluto. And so if you actually watch Pluto move, Pluto is not moving in a straight orbit around the sun. Instead, Pluto and Charon are actually orbiting around each other. Yeah. And then Pluto is moving around the sun. So you see Pluto wobble a whole lot as it moves. And so it's the same idea. As long as you have enough time on any asteroid or comet, if you can put something like Charon... Or, you know, like just something close in mass next to it, then you can cause it to wobble enough that you're going to change its orbit that it's going to miss the Earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, extra- do it far enough out and then extrapolate that over however many millions of miles or tens of millions of miles. Right. So, right. Yeah, and I guess just hope that you don't miss when you shoot your initial shot yeah so here's the deal so here's the deal we're either gonna know about it in time that we can change it or it's gonna hit earth and be a complete surprise there is no in between there's not gonna be a week period so it's either gonna hit us and you're gonna be like what the hell was that oh guess we're all dying in a while um or it's gonna be far enough out like there you're just there, there's not a lot of stuff that you would detect in two weeks that you wouldn't have detected two years ago. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, that brings me to my other question. About this. this is just scary things that I find on the internet and then worry about at night. I really wouldn't worry about it. I mean, I mean, look, in America, we have gun violence. I'd worry about that. <laughs> I would worry about the asteroid hitting the earth. Yeah, I only laugh through the pain. Um, yeah, I know. 
(laughs) of all the things to worry about. It's like, this should not be one of them. Well, yeah. So I guess that's just my thing. It's like, yeah, we've got this whole plan now for potentially deflecting asteroids. But yeah, like you said, you're not going to see... You're possibly not going to see all of them headed our way. Um, and I feel like for a long time, I've sort of heard the thing like, and I don't know if it's 100% true, but that it's hard to like see things that are headed directly towards you. So I don't know. That's all what it's made of. So I see you wrote down here about the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, but also the same is true of Oumuamua, right? The thing that came into our solar system in 2017, we detected for the first time, this was really exciting. Um, we detected an asteroid uh, from another solar system that passed through our own. This yeah. was this was super exciting um, <laughs> because it, it should happen all the time. Right? Yeah, and, we've, and since then we've already found another one, and as our detectors get better, we're going to find more of these. But it should happen all the time, right? Because we just talked about how like planets can be flung out mm-hmm. because of planet forming process, but asteroids are leftover planets, and if planets are flung out. How much more easily should you be able to fling out something that is a very low mass? Yeah. Right? And so and so the fact that we found one is great. It tells us that we understand the planet forming process. That's awesome. What was weird about it was that we measured how massive it was and how close to the sun it was. And so we we understood like how it should be moving just under like the sun's gravity. And it wasn't moving like that at all. It was moving too fast for that. Yeah. That led some people to speculate that it was aliens. It was, um, spoiler alert, it was not aliens. <laughs> um, I don't even know why aliens would do this. Um, but what it was is basically material like like we have on Pluto. So it had to have outgassing of some kind. Yeah. That, so, so solid material that was sublimating. That was causing it to move in these non-gravitational ways, but it also couldn't be very reflective material because like, for example, water ice reflects light really, really well. And so if we see something that's very reflective, but it also is outgassing, we're like, oh, water ice. And so we didn't have those properties, but it led us to think that it was, it was actually like the material like you have on Pluto. So not a lot of water ice, but different types of ices. Okay. And so, um, but we also didn't detect Oumuamua very easily. We only we only knew of it for like a month or two before it left our solar system um, because of this property, because it was not very reflective, because it had these other types of ices that did not reflect light very right. well. And so this is what makes comets so hard. So asteroids are closer in. Asteroids are all located in between like Mars and Jupiter. They're very close, so we can see them much easier. Comets are all located like at Pluto or beyond. And so if they're not full of these reflective materials, you know, if they're like a biker in the night, not wearing the reflective vest or whatever, then you can't see it until you're like right up on them. Yeah. And so the same is true of comets. And so that's why comets are a little bit, a little bit more dangerous is because they could be harder to see. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up a muamua and sort of cleared that up because I I put it in here because I talked about it before. I had come back to it when it to me it sort of seemed like a couple articles came out and it was like more or less as settled as it can be <laughs> about something like this because you know we only got to watch it for like 11 days before it was gone, but 
that it was, yeah, some sort of different type of ice, not water ice that was propelling it and making it move faster or in weird compared to how we thought that it should be moving. But then I don't know, I kept seeing it show up in other things being like, but also like could be aliens. So no, no, (laughs) is is like, uh, no, what, here's what's happening. The press needs clickbait for their titles. Yeah. <laughs> and that is and that is what they're doing. Um yeah. and they're being dishonest and not the scientists trying to sell their science are being dishonest necessarily. Because I actually talk to the press quite a bit about my science and I know that I say one thing and the press is like, mm, okay, but but also here's what's gonna get people to actually read the article. And so I'm gonna say another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm sure like if you're trying to get more funding to look for objects like this or like support the, cause this was spotted by the pan stars right. telescope right. Um, array or whatever. Um, yeah. Like you're trying to fund that. So it's like keeping that little <laughs> tidbit in there of like, Oh, but could be aliens. Like sort of peaks, peaks people's interest. <laughs> A friend of mine, and I'm going to quote him on this, has said, anytime you read a science headline and it's asking a question, the answer is no. <laughs> Fair like, enough. They just don't want to see it. So they phrase it as a question. So, yeah. 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 Which, yeah. To be fair, like, I very much understand this because just this week or last when last week, whenever, the, the when the news about the... Uh, like, oh, the inner core is reversing direction or it's stopping and like everybody's freaking out and writing news stories like it's going to be like the plot of the movie, the core. Is that happening? No, no, no. It's not happening. Like literally all the journalists like interpreted this paper that came out. What it is, is the core, the inner core is just slowing down relative to the overall spin of the earth. So like all of them should just say relative to the overall spin of the earth. <laughs> now I'm looking this up. I, I hadn't heard this at all, but the inner core is actually solid. And so yeah. we don't need it at all. We yeah. only need the outer core. Yeah. It's basically like the inner core is sort of like, you know, this like marble, metal marble floating inside of the liquid outer core. So it's this idea that at least a lot of people think that it can like slightly slow down or slightly speed up. Like I haven't read anything, but I just don't believe their measurement. Just, just, <laughs> just don't tell. I just don't believe this measurement because I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's probably really, really hard to measure. It would be really hard to measure. They don't have to yes. go in like. With like, I'm, I'm just thinking like how they would measure this. I hadn't heard this at all. This is fascinating because the core is the worst science movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I recommend watching it. Um, but oh, I, I have. Think, <laughs> with like P waves or S waves or something. Uh-huh. And I just don't know how how accurate it would be. Yeah, it's pretty much like knowing where the waves start and yeah. then they get bent as they travel through you know, the inner or outer core. And it was like the amount that they were bending was like slightly different than what they expected when they came out the other side, because the inner core was spinning a slightly different speed than it should be. But this is like, I mean, ultimately, these are like geophysical models. And I'm sure if you changed one parameter, like a tiny, tiny bit, you'd get a totally different answer or think that it's not happening at all. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah. anyway, yeah. <laughs> but regardless, the news stories, like you would think that the, you know, the earth was earth about to right now, right now. And I believe in the movie, the core, um, which I love, it's such a great movie. Um, dangerous microwaves, like destroy the Coliseum <laughs> because of the earth's core, not spinning anymore. Oh yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's a, that's a movie. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a crazy movie. movie. That is a movie is yeah. what we can do about that. It is a movie and it has like Hillary Swank and Stanley Tucci in it. Yeah, which like pretty much I'll watch anything with Stanley Tucci. So I, it's fine. I'd watch it again. <laughs> so we have a couple more things that mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on that I'm sure that you have thoughts about. So one of these things, which is, again, another thing that I just learned about recently, because apparently I'm a very like space kick, but is this like gamma ray burst (laughs) idea? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. So for some, for some background on October 9th of 2022. So just a few months ago, NASA detected what was thought to be the most powerful explosion that's ever been observed coming from space. Uh, So this was a gamma ray burst that was detected by satellites and telescopes across the globe. And these types of explosions are the most energetic ones that occur in our universe, I guess, with the caveat that the Big Bang would have been larger. (laughs) But it's a high energy burst of radiation that gets released when stars go supernova and they collapse. And each one of these explosions, which you can correct my numbers on this, produce more energy than our own sun will produce in its entire 10 billion year lifetime, which is absurd. So it's just a huge burst of radiation that gets sent out into space. So this one in October gets designated GRB 221009A, but I think it's very cute that they also refer to it as the boat, which is the biggest of all time. Um, (laughs) and it did trigger, I guess we've got a satellite detection system for this, which is like cool. So I guess like if there's a big enough one, like we'll know about it slightly sooner if it's going to kill us. But, um, (laughs) no, but I mean, it's just like, do you want to know you're going to die a couple hours before you actually die? (laughs) No. Um, yeah, so gamma ray bursters. So these are really interesting things, right? Because we we kind of understand where they're coming from, but we don't we don't super have all the sources pinned down. Um, but one source of gamma rays that we know about is when a star goes supernova and explodes. Well, everyone who's ever at the night sky in the northern hemisphere, um, even if you live in a city area, you're probably still familiar with the constellation Orion. Um, right, because that's up during the the winter months, and you can see Orion even um, even in like New York City. It's like one of the the best known constellations out there. Well, the shoulder of Orion is Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is a dying star. It is going to go supernova sometime in the next two hundred years. Sorry, we can't pin that down more for you, but we cannot. <laughs> Um, and when it does, it's likely to release a lot of gamma rays that could actually be fatal um, to us. Uh, the problem what? with <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, uh, the problem with supernova and gamma rays is that we're not 
I'm not really sure how many gamma rays they put out, um, but there has been a suggestion that actually some of the mass extinction events on Earth, because there have been multiple ones, not just the dinosaurs, uh-huh. but some of the extinction events have been linked to have occurred around the same time as supernovas. Yes. Um, and it's actually the gamma radiation from supernovas that caused a mass, mass extinction event. Uh-huh. So yeah, so Beetlejuice, if it puts out enough gamma radiation, um, will fry us all. Um, I guess it would be like nuclear bombs going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, overall, like a whole bunch of radiation directed at Earth for yeah. the most part, like we're getting hit by radiation from space all the time. Like that's yeah. just a thing. It's coming from a tiny amount. Our atmosphere protects us from a lot of it. Yes. So we have this atmosphere to protect us. Yeah. But the caveat here is like you get a whole bunch you know, all at once. And it's either going to like, I don't know, I guess create disturbances in the atmosphere, but also potentially just strip it away. And then it's like, well, sayonara to like our entire <laughs> life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry. I don't really have anything for you. On no. That. Oh, sorry. Yes. Well, so yeah. So <laughs> this is ruining my life. Um, <laughs> no, or again, again, guns. I'm so sorry. Guns. So don't worry about this. <laughs> no, I know. But he, okay. So here's the thing about Beetlejuice though, is everything I've ever seen about this has been like just excited because yeah, like, we'll be awesome. able to see it in. I know. I can't yeah. wait. I hope it happens in our lifetime. <laughs> okay. So I'm banking on the fact that it is far enough away and it's not going to put out enough gamma radiation that it'll be a big deal. And then we get to see it and we get to study it. Wouldn't that be awesome? And <laughs> it puts out enough gamma radiation. Maybe it's just cancer. And so maybe we don't die right away, but maybe we yeah. can study this star as we're dying of cancer. Yeah. Or maybe we all just turn into the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> or maybe. And that would be awesome too. <laughs> So I know, man, I'm a complete scientist about this star and I think it's going to be fine. And I yeah. think it'll be, it'll be really cool to see. Yeah. But Beetlejuice is how far away? I don't know. <laughs> Six, 60 light years? I don't know. That seems too close. I think it has to be like, I'm looking at, I'm Googling it because I don't know. I'm looking, yeah, I'm also Googling it. 642. Yeah, okay, I was pretty close. I said 60. I know how to say it. <laughs> just an order of magnitude. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, because it'll be said- fine. <laughs> and if not, you can't change it anyway. So don't worry about it. No! The sources that I found, which like you would know better. So yeah, it said like within a few hundred light years. But I didn't read anything about Beetlejuice. But like now I'm, because they were like, no, nobody nearby is going to do this. It's going to be fine. Our closest hope for destroying us from gamma radiation. Well, maybe we'll find out. Yeah, maybe we will. Maybe yeah. it's already exploded and those gamma rays are on its way to Earth right now. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't know. This are 650 light years away. You wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, but what? Okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> I'm dead now. The other thing that I wanted to talk about. So, great. So, possibly, we had this big one that we observed. Super cool. I like that they call it the boat. It was 
super far away, like 2.4 billion years, light years away, they think. Meaning that like, because, you know, because it like set off all of these satellites and telescopes that detected it and set off the SWIFT detector that uh, the satellite that NASA has set up to look for these types of radiation bursts. Like we know that it was really big, which is super cool. And like, but ultimately it just caused like some radio wave disturbance basically. But yeah, but like Allison said, if one was close enough, (laughs) it could just destroy Earth's atmosphere or, you know, do some not great things to us living on the surface. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Listen, if it happens, if Earth gets showered with gamma rays, um, have me back on the podcast. (laughs) 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 As we're all dying. So skin melting off our body. (laughs) Here's the thing. All these things just make me think like, I, you know, I've, spend time thinking about like the Fermi Fermi paradox and, Mm -hmm. and why we don't like why, if there's the potential for so much life out in the universe, like why we haven't heard from anybody yet. And it's like, well, maybe they're just all dead. (laughs) It probably is. That's probably the answer. Um, And humanity i mean this is the exercise that we do in my class a lot hey uh-huh. if you ever you come take my class we talk away about um how humanity is going to destroy itself a lot yeah uh, but yeah this is i mean we're probably going to destroy ourselves before we ever have the hope of finding another civilization yeah <laughs> well all right here for here for a good time not a long time <laughs> Oh my god, I love that so much. That's (laughs) That's where I'm at now. Okay, so the last thing, which I think is like I thought initially sounded very spooky, and then I convinced myself that it was not really a spooky thing at all. Uh, But if anybody else has heard of it and thinks that it is spooky, I guess we can clear that up. This is this is good. We'll end on like the positive note. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things uh, that I'd read about was this thing called the Great Attractor, which like sounds yeah. very epic and like it's I don't my, know. It's my Tinder profile. Yeah. <laughs> right. So here, here's the, one of those other things that's sort of just like inherently creepy about space is like the the fact that our galaxy is moving through space at super fast speeds, like 2.2 million kilometers per hour. So we're just like hurtling through space very quick, which also makes me very uncomfortable because then I know what we talked about before, which is like rogue planets and rogue black holes. And it's like, well, those are also moving very fast through space. So hate that. And I had like this sort of, I don't know, I guess misconception that sort of like everything is like rotating around each other and like moving in a big circle, but that like might not be right. Like we're sort of part of this like super cluster of galaxies and we're all being pulled towards this specific region in space that is about 150 million light years away, which is known as the Great Attractor. (laughs) Yeah, And it's presented as this, as this like very spooky thing in a lot mm-hmm. of places online because it's like, well, we can't like it's 
located in a direction where to see it, we would have to be able to like see through the middle of our galaxy. And that's really hard to do with visible light. And we're getting a better look using x-rays, but like it makes it seem like very mysterious and spooky because it's like, it's this big thing in space that's like pulling us all toward us and we don't know what it is. But like in reality, it's probably just a big like super cluster of galaxies that is just pulling everybody because of gravity, right? You just told everybody what I was going to say. You give the ending away. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, okay. So if you want to think about space, the best way to think about space is actually like the upside down from Stranger Things. Um, (laughs) And that it's, it's like kind of spindly. And, and like, spiderwebby. Okay. Okay, because most of the matter in the universe is dark matter. So it's stuff that we don't know what it is and we can't see it. We just know that it's there because of the gravity. But if you look at how dark matter is arrayed, it's kind of like all the crap in the upside down. Um, it's kind of like, like this, like, spiderweb type stuff. Yeah. There are voids where there is literally, like, nothing, not even dark matter. I almost included that on the list of, like, just the fact that there are, like, voids with nothing in space. <laughs> just like, what the hell? Yeah, there are voids. <laughs> yeah I know. I know. Um, don't fall into one. <laughs> and then there are, there are dark matter, and there are, like, clumpy parts of dark matter where there's, like, a lot of seas. And then there's, like, the little tendrils where there's maybe only, like, a few galaxies. And so, um, because the clumps have more gravity, as we go on in time, like attracts like, and so things with more gravity are going to attract more galaxies into them. And so, um, the big mysteries, once we started being able to measure, like, how our galaxy was moving, and how other galaxies were moving, was that we all seemed to be moving towards this one particular place in space, the local galaxies. Outside of the local galaxies, we know that every galaxy is moving away from us. Yeah. But inside, like, the local group of galaxies, like, we saw the galaxies were moving towards one specific space. And not only that, we couldn't figure out what it was. There's not enough mass there. Well, it turns out, this is this is why science is science, no matter what, is because science, sometimes you don't have the right instrument to answer the question. But it's still a scientific question. It's still a scientific problem because it could be answerable if you had the right instrument. And so it turned out with the motion of these galaxies, we should have the right instrument at the time. So like all we had were like optical telescopes. Well, if you look at the motion of galaxies with Mm -hmm. optical telescopes and you measure the mass, it doesn't work out correctly. Um, The reason is that like where every galaxy is moving Happens to be in the same region of the sky as the plane of the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is full of dust. And dust obscures light. Like, you can think about it like if you have a really dirty window, you can't see as clearly outside. And so when you're trying to, like, look through the Milky Way and measure things, you just can't as well. And so it took us, it took to be, like, the development of X-ray astronomy and to be able to measure things in the mm-hmm. x-ray. Well, it turns out most of the mass in um in clusters of galaxies is actually in like really really hot gas. Um and so once we had x-ray astronomy, you could see the really hot gas 
And so then you could see where most of the mass lies. Hmm. And it's just a lot of galaxies. Every galaxy moving toward a huge bunch of other galaxies because that's where all the gravity is. And so everything in like our little yeah. is moving to like the great attractor, which is this region of thousands of other galaxies and eventually will all be like this just giant galaxy group. Um, but the thing that's really cool with the motion of galaxy, like this is the one part where I have to tell you, like you don't have to worry, right? Rogue planet holes, <laughs> rogue planets, um, <laughs> asteroids from other solar systems, gamma ray bursts, all these things mean death for you. Um, but when it comes to galaxies mm-hmm. colliding, you don't have to worry about it at all because stars in galaxies themselves are so far apart that like when our galaxy collides with Andromeda, <laughs> it's going to be fine for us. Um, we're not going to hit another star. Our planet's not going to hit another planet. It's going to maybe change our orbit a little bit. Um, and like our night sky is going to get a little bit brighter, but it's, it's going to be fine. And so with all of, like the galaxies rushing towards each other, like the great super cluster, we're just going to merge and become this bigger galaxy and all the stars, they're yeah. not going to run into each other. So we'll be fine. So don't worry okay. about it. No, no death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like also how far out is that collision? <laughs> um, so we are going to collide with Andromeda in like 5 billion years. I, uh, I don't think anybody's going to be around for that. <laughs> because you know what else is happening in 5 billion years? The sun is dying. That's what's happening. yeah you're good (laughs) that will not be a problem for (laughs) us um yes so i guess like the good news is here that we can leave you with a positive which is that the great attractor is sort of sounds spooky people use a lot of spooky language about it people are clearly worried about it because when i (laughs) googled this like the top recommended searches were is the great attractor God and will the great attractor destroy us? Wait, 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 I just have a question. Like, let's imagine for a minute that like God who maybe created the universe. If you believe that, like whatever God you believe in, God sits in one tiny little specific part of the universe (laughs) falling towards like what? (laughs) What? <laughs> what's happening what's the point is god eating the galaxies why is this happening i think it's just people reaching out for meaning behind something that is bigger than them all i want to do is help people understand like like how big the universe is how small you are how amazing science is and if you want to believe in a higher power that's great i think it fits hand in hand because because everything that science teaches us is so amazing and i want people to break out of this 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 small human mindset that we have that like the earth is everything because because the universe is so much more than us which is yeah exactly how i feel about stuff is we're really good at acting like we're super important in the big scheme of things which yeah i guess goes back to you know being afraid of all of these things in space and it's like well in the long run like it probably doesn't matter <laughs> okay well i think we've more or less covered everything that i wanted to talk about tonight if there's anything you want to plug or let people know like if they where they can find you on social media anything like that yeah so on twitter i am at ak astronomy um i'm a professor at the university of kansas um i'm occasionally in the news i was in the news 
last year because a quote got mis. Well, no, I'm sorry. I actually said the quote. The quote got misused to say that I said that the Big Bang didn't happen. Um, Big Bang definitely, I, as far as we can tell with our current scientific mechanisms, absolutely happened. I was talking about new results from the James Webb Space Telescope, and I talked about how like like the things that we're seeing from this telescope are incredible. They're just absolutely amazing. Um, we're learning about like mm-hmm. how galaxies formed and evolved. And a quote that I said got taken out of context and used by like a bad actor to say that I supported uh, non Big Bang cosmology, which is oh no. If you know me from that, um, no. But then the other thing that I just want to tell everybody is that I love science podcasts like this where we can engage on topics that I think are really, really super fun, particularly ghosts. I just love ghosts. I think ghosts are the greatest. Um, (laughs) Break it down in a scientific manner. And I just want to encourage everybody out there that you can do science and you can do math and don't be afraid to engage with it. And I hope you follow me on Twitter. I can complain about academia a lot. My kids. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> just, just stay curious and use your brain. Awesome. Well, uh, this was super great. And I like really appreciate you coming on here. I'm very happy that I understand black holes a lot better than I did before. Go in one. Do not watch me. Just don't go in one. (laughs) Watch your cellar and you're like, that's for me. I'm going to go into a black hole. No, don't do it. (laughs) That's not going to end well for anybody. (laughs) That wraps up our second ever Substitute Sister episode. Paige will be back next episode for our fourth volume of Spooky True Crime Stories. If you liked this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. Check the show notes for links to all of our social media accounts, our Discord server, and Patreon. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and stay spooky. Spooky Science Sisters is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.